Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the State of Love and Trust, the Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and I'm alongside, as always, Paul Gillieri. I uh, I took about three tries there to get the opening. That's and I okay. Finally got it. Third time's a charm. That's right. We're in like Flynn. Who is Flynn? I don't know. I've always wondered that. And why is I he? Feel, is that good? I, I don't. I feel like Flynn and um, what's the guy? Uh, D.B. Cooper, the guy that jumped out of the airplane with like a million dollars. Yeah. They're, they're the two most enigmatic, unknown, just who were they, where'd they go? Yeah. I don't know. Like if it was in like Flint, I can understand that. Right. Larry Flint. You could be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like you just Flynn. There. <laughs> yeah, I did. What of it? Yeah, you did. <laughs> so rate, review, and subscribe is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Uh, you know, I want to read a, um, I want to read a review. Excellent. We said that we wanted to do this. We've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah. Um, this is the part of the show where I pull up my application that (laughs) I I didn't have prepared. So, uh, you know, tell people some interesting things while I search for this. Mm. Well, let's just break down what tonight's episode. Well, it might be this morning during your commute to work for you, but we're recording it tonight. Tonight's episode is comprised of a wonderful brand new new segment where we're going to take a look at a cover of a Pearl Jam song that just dropped recently. Uh, Very excited to talk about that. Then we're going to go into the top five Mike McCready songs. So I think we've covered Jeff, Jeff Amen. We've covered uh, Matt Cameron. I think we did Matt. Mm-hmm. No, I'm pretty sure we did Eddie as well, didn't we? Those are the three that we've done. I think so, yeah. All right. So, so we moved uh, on to our friend Mike McCready. And yeah. I have, in, in that time, by the way, I want to say uh, kudos to me for humming the offspring disclaimer music while you were doing that. And I, 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 the- I, I think I might be able to, uh, to recite that. Hold on. Ready? Yes. Ah, it's time to relax. So go on, kick off your shoes, lean back in your favorite easy chair. What is it? Music soothes even the savage beast. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? Yeah, compact disc. Yeah, but all <laughs> that compact disc. Do you remember compact discs? Um, anyways, the review here, this is like a variety show. Episode 56, off to a flying start. Here we go. Here's uh, a review that I'm going to read at, at random. Uh, the headline, the, the subject matter here is, you'll love this show, period. Trust when Paul me. doesn't talk. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. In fact, you're the first word of the actual review. Paul and Jason know their Pearl Jam. Heck, their initials are P and J. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that they had their names legally changed just to make that happen. <laughs> Every week, they come up with a creative show topic and their lyric interpretations make me think about these songs. I love in new ways. This is a PJ fan must listen. What a lovely review. It truly was. Who is that from? To whom 
are we indebted for that absolutely stellar review? Uh, our friend in Lexington, Kentucky, Matt Reno. Matt Reno. Matt, we appreciate you. Thanks, Matt. We are very grateful for your kind words. Most importantly, we're happy that you are satisfied and we're going to continue to try to produce the best Pearl Jam content out there so that uh, you feel compelled to keep listening. I'm reading one more just for shits and gigs. Oh. Conversations I always wanted to, but couldn't because none of my friends care about this band to the extent that I do. It's awesome to hear the band and their music discuss with such thought and depth. Love it. From DJ Jazzy 276. DJ Jazzy, we appreciate you. Thank you. Apparently, Will Smith is not available. For no. I'll tell you what, these reviews are going to make it really hard for me to ever think about phoning it in. Well, I, w- I wasn't planning on it, but now that I know that you were. Jesus Christ. Um, so this episode, by the way, thanks um, everybody who's who sent in reviews and, and send in more. Give us a review. Feel free to be negative if you'd like. That could be funnier, actually. Uh, but yeah, send us in reviews. We'll read them on the air and um, on the air. What the hell is this, a radio show? Just, you know, on the podcast, whatever. Yeah. And I want to share something as a follow-up to all that. Okay. Uh, we recently mentioned that we were on the, the lookout for any listeners who might be interested in producing a graphic for a state of love and trust t-shirt. Mm-hmm. We're happy to announce that one of our grand, wonderful listeners has actually reached out to us about that. And we're excited to be pursuing that Avenue. So more details on that to follow. Very excited about that. Cause you, my friend are going to a Hana festival with a state of love and trust t-shirt. on. I will accept nothing less. I'll tell you what I'm there three nights and I will wear it all three nights and I won't wash it. <laughs> so I will funkify it. I think your wife, your, your wife is going to take umbrage with this, but. Well, you know what? If she wants to go, she better, she better be coming with me with my shirt. <laughs> That's just how it be, my friend. It'll be gross. Right, so let's jump in here. Um, yeah. We're going to talk about a cover. Mm. We're going to talk about an important cover about an important Pearl Jam song that we actually talked about last week. I remember we had this conversation. I had yes, mentioned to you that mm-hmm. this particular track actually grates on some people. That, that Even during Pearl Jam's peak, we have a mutual friend of ours that once said that song was like major turnoff for him. He said it's just repetitive, felt like it was the same lyric. So he is a over. silly person. He, well, well. <laughs> that song is Daughter off mm. of Versus. And we have a brand new cover of Daughter. And it's, it's, it's by a rather interesting artist. I have to say, just in, in recent years, we've had everyone from Willie Nelson to Miley Cyrus covering Pearl Jam. And it's no surprise that Hart's Nancy Wilson joins that list. Now, I actually, I'm very fond of Hart's music. I, I thought that they did an outstanding cover of Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven mm-hmm. at the Kennedy Center Honors. It's one of the better versions I've seen of a, of a group covering that song. It was so moving, actually, it moved Robert Plant to tears during that show. But I thought that Nancy's, Nancy Wilson, her rendition of Daughter is unlike anything that I've ever heard before. And I was not prepared for this, my friend, at all. I mean, I thought she was going to come in very much um, in the same vein of the original, just kind of a, a rock interpretation, maybe, maybe just add the, the female touch to it. Not like that at all. I mean, it comes in hard. At first, it kind of almost has that, that uh, 
um, was it Ed, what is it? Um, it's got like a Stevie Nicks vibe at the very beginning. Mm, I can see that. You know, it's got that that seventeen feel. You know, and then then suddenly it just it just pulsates, and and the lyrical delivery I thought was really profound. In some moments, it almost has that spoken word feel to it. Uh, but then she comes in with the chorus and it's super heavy. I mean, it, there's a, it, it has an industrial feel to it. Now, and that's reinforced by the imagery, which for those who don't know, she recorded this particular song for a film, actually. And I, I'm going to share a little bit about that really quickly. It's on Netflix, right? It's, uh, it was I Am... I Am All Girls, a South African film, which shines a light on human trafficking. And she said uh, in this interview here on blabbermouth.net, she says, I initially recorded Daughter for the film, a powerful story about sex trafficking in South Africa. I was drawn to the global tragedy of human trafficking and the lyrics sung from a woman's, from a woman's perspective, also mirror the power of the girl's untold stories. This film is a revelation and sheds meaning and light on these realities. Trafficking is a global phenomenon that impacts women around the world. I recorded this version as an anthem to them. And uh, I, I personally thought that was a, 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 I cannot think of a beautiful cause mm. to repurpose and reimagine this Pearl Jam track. I would imagine that the band gave just utter blessings for it to be used in this capacity. Uh, I believe that most of the tracks are originals on this soundtrack. There's a, a few covers by a few of her favorites. There's a stirring turn of Simon and Garfunkel's The Boxer, which is an outstanding track, by the way. Uh, it has Sammy Hagar on that one. There's an ethereal cover of The Cranberry's Dreams. And there's also a, a single from the album by Bruce Springsteen off The Rising, which dropped last fall. So there's some pretty cool stuff on here, man. I'm, I'm excited to check this out. In any case, Nancy Wilson coming at us hot with a, a pretty rock and rendition of daughter. I'm curious. What did you think? I, when I first heard it, I was not, like I said, not prepared. So I don't know how I feel about it right now. When I first heard it, I said, this is so different. I'm interested and intrigued by it. I didn't know if I liked it, but I definitely appreciated how she brought a brand new take to the song. And I thought that the reimagining of the song was, was very, very creative and very ambitious. I didn't, I didn't know what to make going in. I kind of came in real indifference, the wrong word, but I came in neutral. Okay. So I guess it's the best way to come into something, right? Just kind of like, you know what I mean? No, no biases. Let it be painted. Yeah. Uh, So I found it very interesting. Uh, I, I took it, you know, it takes, the main mood of the song and the structure of the song. And just, it, it just kind of, it tweaks it in a way because, and this is a song that's pretty much just in G the whole time. Um, any guitar player out there who's played this song before knows that it's, a, it's an open G tuning and it kind of stays in that world. It doesn't really kind of jump out of that key. Um, so you've got to really do something here to change the vibe up and make it your own. And she does. Uh, the arrangement is slightly different to the original, but in a good way. The layered vocals uh, really add a level of tension to the lyrics that I thought was nice. The way she sings it, you brought it up. Uh, and because, again, sung by a woman, it makes this story hit a little differently. And I think we, and we talked about this before, the quiet, loud thing, the quiet, loud dynamic 
really accentuates how Nancy has remade this vibe. Um, and coming from Ed, where he sung it in a third person kind of way, and it was super powerful in that in that regard. And sometimes songs, or I should say, themes sung from a third person can be super powerful because it ignites some empathy in you. It's like, yeah, I've seen that too. I'm, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it's sung from a first person point of view, and you've experienced that, it's no longer empathy. It's like, oh shit. I totally understand what you're talking about. And so there's a, there's a directness, there's an intimacy with, with the lyrics now with the story and, you know, putting it in the context of this, of this film and sex trafficking and, and, and girls and, and young women dealing with this crap. It's like, it, it hits totally different. You've got this little piano thing happening in the, uh, the Steve Nicks portion, as you called it. And then that, that industrial heavier kind of chorus really adds a cool new layer, not in the original and, you know, again, like for a song that doesn't really change key at all, that's kind of imperative for you to change up the vibe because otherwise it would be like, well, where can you really go? But she found a way to add a couple of different layers to it that weren't initially there. And I think it was really cool. I actually listened to it. I made some notes and I listened to it right again, um, more on an enjoyment level, just kind of confirm what I had just heard. And I go, damn, this is a, this is pretty damn cool. And I, I'm, I'm kind of hard on, Pearl Jam covers, especially of songs that I really, really like. Right. And I think she did a really cool job with it. I agree. So if you haven't heard it yet, definitely take a peek. Uh, There's an accompanying video, but we're going to do our part and we're going to make sure that we share it across all our social media platforms. This way other folks can take a listen and we'd love to hear what you think. Indeed. Now let's go to, uh, the main topic, my friend, we've done this before. As you said, we've done Eddie, we've done Matt, we've done Jeff Amaint. Amaint? Amaint. There you go. Amaint. Lord. Uh, so we're doing Mike McCready today. Now, it's easier to do, well, I should say easier, but it's there's more to choose from when it comes to um, Jeff Stone and Ed. Mike, there's a little less to choose from, but there's more than, than Matt. Now, Matt, we kind of pared it down to the top three because it really wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. But with Mike, we'll stick with top five. And I know that we both have a few um, uh, honorable mentions. And I think last show when we talked about um, songs we preferred live versus the studio, I liked doing the honorable mentions after the facts. So it doesn't give anything away. So let's just do that again. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll let you lead off here. Um, what is your, uh, fifth best Mike? Oh, by the way, again, uh, if you don't remember back in our last one, which I believe was Ed back in like November or something, mm-hmm. uh, the stipulations were that, uh, you have to be a songwriter and obviously the fewer songwriters there are, the he- more heavily weighted the song is. So for a song, like, let's say, um, faithful where he's Mike is the only writer of the song, musically speaking, that's a big plus. Um, if he happens to write the lyrics, like, you know, you might have turning mist on here. I don't know. That would help <laughs> out too. But obviously Mike doesn't write a lot of lyrics. So uh, the more singularly focused he is, the songwriter, the more weighted that is. But hey, if the song's really good, it can overcome that. So anyways, rules out the door, subjective rules, I should say. Uh, give me number five, Paul Gillary. Number five for me right now is uh, probably present tense. Okay. And um, the music in the song, the slow burn, it was one of those berry tracks on, on No Code that it, as p- people gradually 
began to connect with No Code. I felt that this was the song that actually created that bridge. I'll never forget when they did uh, the shows for Letterman mm. and, and, and they played this one live, just how into it the fans were. And it, it was almost like this, this particular song, it's evolved into an anthem in a lot of ways. And when I first heard the album, it was a very interesting, unique, a bit long at the time, song and i appreciated the composition but i i think it was there's a complexity to the way that it was written that i don't think i appreciated and understood at the time and as that song continues to age there's something unique about the way that it's it sticks with you but you're not quite sure why in the beginning and i i want to cite something really fascinating about this track i was reading recently about how the ESPN documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls hmm. that I think it was called The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. It concludes with Pearl Jam's present tense. Sure does. So it was fascinating to hear the director, I believe his name is Jason Hehir. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that and I apologize. But he is on record as saying, this is I'm quoting him from the Seattle Times here. He says, I remember thinking when I heard that, that would be such a cool song to cut highlights to. This is long before I even became involved in the industry. Hmm. Indeed, when the Seattle band released No Code and Hehir, I believe, first listened to it, he was a college student spending a semester abroad in Galway, Ireland. Now, th- this, this song, though, he says, I started with present tense and came all the way back to that when editing began. By then, the selection was all the more fitting. And he says, Michael's a mystic. His gift was not that he could jump high, run fast, shoot a basketball. His gift was that he was completely present. And that was the separator. Why would I think about missing a shot? I haven't taken it yet. And then uh, he, he you, you get the cue here to Eddie's lyrics. Have you ideas on how his life ends? Check your hands and study the lines. And there's this great breakdown here about how the song and the intercutting works with the visuals. So I think this would be another cool thing to, to copy and paste for our listeners as well across social media platforms but again this song musically the way that it kind of has this introspective tunneling effect and it just sucks you in and then once you're embedded within that reflection and introspection it breaks itself down and then you have that ending and it's it's wonderful to just cut to i think and it works really really well and, and the fact that this director actually had that thought years ago, I mean, back in 96, then comes out and produces this magnificent series about one of the greatest basketball franchise icons of all time and one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports, coupled with the fact that so many members of Pearl Jam are huge basketball fans. And then there's the Chicago connection with the band as well. It just seems so fitting to me that this is one of Mike's crowning achievements as a musician uh, in terms of his contributions composing the music. So I couldn't help but uh, to so dwell on that. So this is your there. fifth best. This I know. It's a lot, right? <laughs> I know. But right. I, I, it, it's... I, it, well, guess what? I agree with you. Present tense, number five. And the first line I had here, my first note was that I got chills when I watched the end of Last Dance. Now, I grew up yeah. in the 90s as a huge Michael Jordan fan. I'm not a big NBA guy, but I mm-hmm. did enjoy watching them among amongst the league. Um, and as, as you alluded to, you know, uh, 
Ed has been friends with um, Rodman and Phil Jackson to a lesser degree throughout the yeah. mid '90s. Like right around the time, there's a picture of of them. I think celebrating in '96 or '7 um, the, the final championship, and Eddie's there right next yeah. to Dennis, <laughs> like the, right <laughs> after the game. Um, there's just something about this simple song. And I say simple because um, there's not a lot of pieces to it, even though the pieces are complex. It's very vulnerable. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like a patient on an operating table with her chest cavity exposed or something. Hmm. Now, I presume that Mike was playing a strat because it just has that kind of tone to me. But it's got that um, again for my guitar nerds. It's a dad gad tuning, D A D G A D. You can play it in drop D, but it's that's what is it? That's what it is. And it's got a little bit of phaser and a little bit of tremolo on there, and then all the reverb that you can find. And it's got this really cool vibe, and it just fills the room. And there's just a little bit of atmosphere around this riff, and there's not really too much guitar um, like fill type stuff around it um, before Stone comes in with the acoustic. Um, it's just Ed and Mike. And the lyrics are perfectly complementary to what Mike is doing on the guitar. The simplicity of the notes ringing out echo the simplicity of the frame of mind that Ed is trying to sell us, right? So this whole this whole thing just kind of builds and builds and builds into this beautiful rock out. And the rock out isn't even like crazy, but it's a rock out compared to where we came from. And it's it's subtle at first, and it gradually kind of uh, just kind of dropping you into this kick ass little jam session at the end, complete with an egg shaker, I might add. Got to have the egg shaker in there. Um, and we can't forget Jeff's bass line in, in the last part, on the outro. It's just, it's so, it's so cool. And it's just so fun. But credit to Mike for creating a canvas for Jeff to get weird on it. But the, the idea that they've created this simple but complex song with all the space in between the individual parts creates this really cool dynamic. Um, of this intimacy and Ed sings the most perfect lyrics on top of it, which is why the director, Jason, he here, I don't know how to pronounce it either. Um, it right. Chose it for the last dance. And it's, it's a lovely, lovely song. And like you said, uh, it's become sort of an anthem. And, and when we talked about our favorite um, covers of Pearl Jam songs, I mentioned Glenn Hansard playing this song by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is something about guitar and vocal and, Everybody else in the band is gravy in the live cuts. So I'm going to stick with present tense at uh, at number five. And no doubt the uh, the backing track underneath what we're talking about has already ended a long time ago because we've been going on for about 10 minutes here on this song. But <laughs> that's fine. Uh, let's go on to number four, Paul. God help me if it's the same one as my number four, too. Well, my number four here is a song that they actually opened their, Euro- their European tour with during the avocado tours and and that's that's mike's song inside job Mm. there's an intensity to this song and and again mike this is just brilliant with the slow burn that that, that i feel like when he does it it's like a master class just that acoustic guitar coming in you get those really poignant those three piano notes and and there's this um, gradual build up in intensity it really is a song that I think has an epic feel to it. It's most reminiscent to something you'd hear on the Who's album, 
uh, who's next it, it feels like it should be on that album i mean there's mm. something so iconic about this particular track here and what i love about this particular song is that it's one of the first time i think it is the first time that mike he actually contributed lyrics to a pearl jam track right so he wrote the, the lyrics to this song and i think they were touring in san uh, uh san paulo sao paulo and he wanted the song to happen according to him despite the fact that eddie had not done the lyrics yet and so he added that to the lyrical inspiration. And so he said, I had to go inside myself first before I could be open to outside ideas. And there's a certain personal element to the sentimentality of the track that, that's so uniquely Mike that I can't help but feel that, you know, there's a, um, an identity here. And there's a window into who he is and what his struggles have been. I mean, if you really think about the, the battles that he's had with addiction, there's so much so much encapsulated with this track here. It, it's a shining achievement for Mike. It's one of the best songs on that album. And it, it's a song that, like present tense, I think, despite its length, continues to age beautifully and gracefully. And I can see folks in the future having the same connection to a song like Inside Job that those who have aged with present tense have had as well. Yes, I can't disagree with you. It's definitely one of those songs that at the time I was like, hmm, I don't know, but it sure as hell has grown on me. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Uh, number four for me is Retrograde. Nice. Um, second time in two albums that Mike has busted out the 12-string guitar. It is such a cool accent to a simple strumming pattern. It just fills the whole thing up. Now, then you got the, the the arpeggio bridge. It sounds as delicate as the subject matter that Ed's singing about. And man, that that forever futures are fading out. I'll tell you what. Uh, I love a good bridge solo from chorus one to verse two. Um, there's another, there's a great stone one in um, in Quick Escape, for example. Right. Those little, I mean, hell, uh, lightning bolt bridge solo between mm-hmm. early in the song. I just like those. It's just a little taste of classic rock. Kind of right there, early up, early, early in the song for you. Uh, and I'm here for that, and it, it was quite tasteful as well. And I, I, I should say some really cool effects on the guitars in the second verse. It offers just a little taste of something different, and I like that it's like the songs are, uh, sounds are ever uh, evolving, much like Life on Earth. Because uh, I mean, the first verse is pretty simple compared to the second verse. It's almost like you're adding on some new things like it's evolving, like what we're talking about in the subject matter. And, you know, that might be a little cheesy, but I think that it totally works here. Now, the song arrangement is pretty simple, um, but the fact that we say everything we have to say only halfway through it means one thing. Epic ending! Epic ending, (laughs) which I'm always here for. Um, And I have no idea how they'll pull this off live, but I can't wait to find out. And probably one of the most appropriately cathartic and epic-sounding outries since maybe parting ways but even before that maybe probably like verses or 10 to be honest with you um i'm very excited to see this song live i know you are too i'm sure it's probably coming up in your list here but um yeah i'll take retrograde at four nice outstanding choice my good man outstanding choice i'm going with given to fly here at three so this this particular track here uh, one again one of mike's crowning achievements very mike in the sense that you have this track that starts out slow gets bigger and then bigger and then breaks down and comes back down again. And and I think we're starting to see that with a lot of his songwriting when he's given the opportunity to truly lead. 
Now, what's interesting about this track though, is the, the way it soars, but when you couple that with the origin of its composition, namely the fact that Mike was snowed in in Seattle, it was snowing in Seattle, which he, he remarked that it rarely did, or does, I should say, I don't know, with climate change, I mean, hence retrograde, maybe it'll <laughs> snow a lot more, but. Well, I was there last weekend, and uh, or two weekends ago, and it was lovely. That's okay. not usually the case this time of year, so. No, no. So he, he stuck in his condo, he ends up composing the riff for Given to Fly, which is loosely based on Led Zeppelin's Going to California and, and has been oft criticized for that. But, uh, you know, he, what I love is this unabashed, just, you know, just honesty about it. You know, Mike's not sitting here trying to play it off. It's I mean, like, has yeah, the stones man. to that too? Like his whole thing was like, I was just trying to write my best Buzz Up on conversions. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great, great lick. Yeah, of, of course, arguably the greatest, you know, rock and roll band of all time. Um, so anyway, you got this riff here. And when you think about the, the claustrophobia of being snowed in and trying to write music and yet to come up with this soaring epic song that, that, runs completely counter i mean the, the dichotomy between the circumstances and the composition i find utterly fascinating it's the same uh alternate tuning that you mentioned before the dad get mm. alternate tuning and so open g open g exactly open g so he he says that he just kind of imagined this this track is sort of a wave in an ocean i'm quoting mike here it starts out slow and then it gets a little larger and a little larger and then it breaks and then it comes comes down again and that's more metaphorically how he thinks of that song and, and then you get jack's beat which is based around the toms but it's not heavy you know it's not just it's not pounding and smashing so i i really felt that this particular song it had that that top 10 single feel to it not surprising obviously it ended up being the most popular single from the album it peaked the lead single, wasn't it? It, it was. Uh, was it? I think, I think it, was, it was the lead yeah. single. I think it, well, it peaked at uh, number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100. This is the song that, to me, triggered those reviews where everyone said, oh, this is Pearl Jam's return to form. I, and we've oftentimes criticized these reviews for taking any time Pearl Jam does something that they find remotely good and saying return to form when, in fact, every album uh, has been a constant uh, peg or interval in the band's evolution and the evolution of their sound. Nonetheless, this song for me, a standout track, always loved it. And and I think I, I love it even more as it continues to, to kind of age. I don't want to say gracefully because I, I feel like there's a certain moment that's very trapped in time, but the, the style of the track seems timeless to me. And, and that's very different than a song like Present Tense or even Inside Job. And so that's what I love about this one here. It's one of Mike's best. Well, it uh, it stops right there and it restarts right here. Given to fly, uh, mm. like like we mentioned, a, a funky, cool open G tuning, weirdness. Slap a phaser on there, and there you go. You got some. You got Mike being weird, which I love about him uh, when he goes off on those weird tangents and finds some creativity. Uh, this opens similarly to the present tense for me, except that we add bass and drums, but the dynamics is all about Mike and Ed. And the way this thing builds, as you mentioned, to the pre-chorus, to the chorus, it's just, I mean, it's just epic, especially live. It's, it's one of the, one of my favorite Pearl Jam live songs, hands down. And, and who can forget Touring Band 2000 when Ed <laughs> flow danced with Kim the uh, sign language person on the side of the stage in St. Louis. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. He's flying whole, wide, high. I mean, I love it. It's just, it's it's so good. 
the tuning of this song, I think, allows Mike's power chords in the chorus to utilize every string. Hence why it sounds so full, even though there really isn't a lot of gain on the guitars. Again, I'm going into the weed, weeds on the guitar thing, but it's like sonically what you're hearing is a very simple chord. But because the way he tuned the guitar to play that riff, he can play the entire neck, right? The entire the entirety of the strings. So it sounds incredibly full. I mentioned full before in the previous song with inside with the uh, with the uh, what song was it? Uh, Retrograde. Mm-hmm. And again, 12 string guitar, it makes a simple showing pattern sound fuller. You're getting octaves there. It's a similar concept here with how he tunes the guitar for this song. And I think that's amazing. By the way, have you ever noticed that Stone hardly does anything outside of the choruses in the song? He's like a fan like us. He's just kind of hanging out and then listen to the chorus. He's, only, he's almost only there in the choruses and then the outro, yeah. of course. But it's really interesting. Now, the last chorus is pure catharsis. The song opens up completely, full expression, full vulnerability. And then that release at the end, the outro, we're all spent, we're just, we just spent four minutes singing our hearts out. So I know, I know the lyrics are, are Ed's, not Mike's, and that means a lot, but the bed of the music is all Mike. And it's such a lovely roller coaster that I can never get enough. And to your point about, you know, songs aging gracefully, a lot of his songs, a lot of Mike's songs are kind of like wine, where you like them up front, but as they open up, they become greater and better, and we find more about them that we like, and there's little Easter eggs here and there, and they start to accentuate things that they didn't accentuate before. I've I've always really loved this song. I know um, Ronan Givney, who wrote, uh, what was the book called again? Present Tense, Pearl Jam and the Present Tense. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the book. He is not necessarily a big fan of this song. He always found it a bit cheesy. I can see what he's talking about, but at the same time, sometimes being on the nose just kind of works. And this song just kind of allows everyone to kind of open up. And you can imagine the lights being on, everyone being, everyone's singing their hearts out. It's just one of those songs that, that is just an incredible um, ascension to a place where everyone can release themselves. And uh, I really appreciate that. I know, I think Mike did a great job of getting us there. Outstanding. Number two. Number two for me, Jason, you gave me a perfect segue. You want to talk about catharsis, ascension, (laughs) opening things up. Okay, here we go. Is is there anything better (laughs) than the sound of D and C played on a 12 string? Feel the sound, feel the sound retrograde mm-hmm. this song to me I, i've already mentioned this it's i think the seminal ding 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 there's that <laughs> third week <laughs> it's it, for me it's the seminal track off this album and i love the fact that this is the only thing by the way about this experience that i love i love the fact that we haven't heard it live yet i love the fact that the mystique and the aura of this song and the legend of this song <laughs> continues to grow that there is no greater narrative built around a video from the gigaton track listing than there is the one with Greta Thunberg and Retrograde. There, there's, the, I mean, there's more written about that. There's more coverage on that. The, 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 the climate, uh, the climate uh, change focus, all that stuff is great. But more importantly to me, the ascension, the catharsis, is so apparent and so present. And I said this in the past. I mean, this song to me, you, you hear that ending, that closing to that track. 
I don't know how you can be a Pearl Jam fan and say that's what I want. The, the that's the soundtrack of my ashes being scattered to the sea. <laughs> that that is that's the song. <laughs> that's what I want. Donnie <laughs> so. wanted to be have his ashes spread out of the sea. <laughs> For all my all, all my big Lebowski. You're out of your element, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love that. that I threw you off. I'm thing. sorry. No, you did. But it's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> we go to In and Out Burger. Oh God! Fuck up, Donnie. Anyway. <laughs> Outstanding. Too. Sorry, I threw you off. Keep going. No, you, you did, and I love that, and I can't top it. So we're going to go oh, for okay. number two. Jesus Christ. All right. Dude, retrograde, I'll tell you what. We, we mentioned at the very top of the show that I'll be at Ohio. I'm surprised that was five for you or four. What was that? It is so soaring to me. It's one of the best things I've heard them write in years. Well, and it's no know. surprise that, that Mike is the one that, that did this. It, he is... You often call him the band's secret weapon, but I think that's often in reference to his blistering solos. Mm -hmm. His ability to compose epic, he is literally the the definition of epic, whether it's him playing Van Halen's Eruption in the middle of the show or the way he composes songs like Retrograde and Give and Fly and Inside Job. There's just something... The the guy is a gift, man. (laughs) He truly is a gift, and... His ability to fight through that addiction. I mean, I find him to be arguably the most compelling member of the band. And he, I think, is one of the most underrated musicians alive today. When you, when you consider his connections 100%. to, to uh, I mean, even his uh, River of Deceit, Great Mad Season track. There's, oh there's so many amazing Mike moments in music history. And I think within the industry, there's a great love and appreciation for his contributions, but I don't think the casual fan and listener understands what Mike McCready means to music, namely music from like 1990 until now. I I think you're right. I think a lot of um, I think a lot of musicians, I think a lot of guitar players, especially there are certain players, and this holds true for all instruments, drummers and bassists, and there are certain songwriters uh, and musicians out there that people don't really know that they like that they respect because their name isn't isn't you know plastered everywhere McCready is one of those guys I can go back a little further um, in a slightly different genre and, and talk about Steve Lukather Steve Lukather uh, played in Toto mm-hmm. but he was also an incredible studio uh, musician and played on a ton a ton of tracks um, I think he did all the guitars on uh, beat it. Aside from no, he, I think aside he from human Benny nature. Halen. I think he did human, human nature. Uh, Van Halen. Uh, Eddie Van Halen. Did Eddie the, did the solo, of course. Did the solo. It. it was uh, it was a Michael Jackson sure. song. Someone's gonna kill me in the comments, but it was a Michael Jackson song, and and he did all the all the guitars. But this is just one of those things where he recorded all these all these songs as a studio musician. You have no idea who this guy is, right? Yeah. Um, and then you go, oh, I like Toto. Like he was in Toto. Oh, great. McCready's one of those guys where he's done other music, right? But you don't. You might not know who Mad Season was, or recognize who was in the band. You might love a Pearl Jam song, but not recognize that Michael Creedy is the guitar, one of the guitar players in the band. He's just one of these guys that pumps out quality material and has never really flashed about it. No, no one's ever put the spotlight on him. And, and Cameron's the same way as a drummer. I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because we we've already talked about Matt. But I I still marvel at the fact that Matt Cameron was the drummer of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, and for a while, at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
I mean, how it's it's unfathomable to me. It tample. I mean, it, the, this band, it Pearl Jam, is a super band. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's nuts, man. Anyway, we're 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 going um, off we're, on we're a tangent. Your your numero dos. Where, my numero dos. Um, well, my numero dos is your numero quattro. Inside job. Mm. It's funny. I, I briefly made a little comment there because I didn't want to get too ahead of myself. But like I said, this song I didn't necessarily love when I first heard it. It had to grow on me. I remember. Um, big fans of Apple, the tech giant, often argue that one of the biggest reasons they like Apple is because the products work so well because Apple makes both the hardware and the software. So everything kind of fits together because they make it work that way intentionally. It's not like, you know, if you have uh, an Android phone by Samsung, but the software's been by Google, it might not be as seamless. Let's just say, for example, this song is kind of like that. The fact that Mike wrote the music and the lyrics is big to me. Yeah. The song just builds and builds and builds, like you mentioned. It never gets crazy rocking, and that's okay. Um, it, it, that's not what builds. The emotion and the intent behind the words build with the intensity as the subject finally recognizes what they have to do. We talked about songs we used to hate but now love. I went really deep into that, uh, into, into the lyrical motif of this song. So go back and check that episode out if you want to um, hear me talk more about that song. And eventually we'll do a, a lyric of the week on this and probably go even deeper. But mm-hmm. for now, I'll just leave it there. The um, Those dueling harmonizing guitars that lead right into the let me run into the rain lines. It's just so great. And then that, you know, life comes from within your heart and desire. Bang! Guitar solo. Ed Whaling. <laughs> that whole ending has kind of an alive solo vibe going on for me, which is obviously tremendous, as evidenced by last week's show. Uh, honestly, I could listen to that outro and solo for another couple of minutes. No problem. Like, you know, Reaver Mirror or, 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 uh, or Live, for example. I can hear those songs just kind of go on like, all right, just keep rocking, guys. This is fine. This is fine. Same thing kind of holds true for the ending of this song. And I would say there isn't a song in the catalog that builds more linearly than this one. It just keeps on going up. It never plateaus. It just keeps going up. Many great songs bring you up and down throughout, and that's awesome. This song is so interesting because it just keeps going up. And you mentioned before the intro um, is very Who-like. It could be its own. It could be its uh, its own track, perhaps. It's their Baba O'Reilly in a lot of yeah. ways. Yes. Um, the interesting thing for me too is that um, I was I was lukewarm on this, but here we are, and now it's my second favorite song of all time by Mike McCready. The song has been out for fifteen years. Yeah. We just talked about Avocado two episodes ago. That's pretty damn incredible because. That's the, some people just have songs that just need a lot of time for them to open up. I talked about wine earlier, and this is one of those songs. It is. All right, I think I think we may have a similar number one here, but let's I, just, I think we let's just to. find out. And, and I have to be honest with you, uh, I'm not as talented a guitar player as as Sergio, and, and, or even you, 
and, and well, most of the amazing. Folks. I don't know why you're I mean, putting me and Sergio in the same boat. That, that, that's uh, well, he, well, I'm just we we've we've had some outstanding musicians on this show, and uh, and you dabble as well. I dabble. Uh, I sprinkle. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, two of my favorite chords to play by far are F and A minor, and the way that oh, the state of love and trust. Actually, D minor is the saddest chord, but F and F and uh, A minor is pretty sad. They are, and 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 state of love and trust. Our podcast's namesake is, I think, for me anyway, it, it's, it's my favorite song that Mike has contributed to musically to play. And it's also uh, one of my favorites to listen to. And, and when, you, when you think about the history of this song, what I love about the recording of it is that the original version that had Dave Crisson on the drums, mm. you know, Jeff loves it because it has that trashy, crazy horse feel to it. I don't. I actually love the version that ended up on the single soundtrack, and, and, and the song was composed for that soundtrack. And that, that trashy version is, is cool, but when I first heard it in my head, I thought, were they just hammered when they recorded this? <laughs> I mean, it's just so like slowed down, and just, it is, it's trashy. And, and now I've, I've grown to appreciate it almost like, uh, as like a demo or a, a, a B-side or one of those off-shot off cuts of the track. But I truly feel that the, the original version of it, the intensity of it, the tempo of it, there's something so quintessential early Pearl Jam about this song. And, and I think that when you, when you think about its connection to the film singles, and, and lyrically speaking, the heavy angle that Eddie took with it, uh, I think Cameron Crowe said the song was about battling with your instincts in love. And, and that battle with instincts, to me, has always been a signature and defining theme of Pearl Jam's music, musically and lyrically. It's, it's a pervasive theme throughout every album. It continues to be this, this idea of battling with your instincts in love. And I think that the friction and the, the frenetic chaos of those two chords and the embedded sadness of them. It's not an E minor, but there's an embedded melancholy there that I also think colors a lot of Pearl Jam's music. So most fans would say Corduroy is the quintessential Pearl Jam track, but there's something about an up-tempo song, and that's a mid-tempo track, but as an up-tempo song, I've always felt that State of Love and Trust was vintage Pearl Jam. And uh, it's, to me, as a title and as a subject matter, it's a perfect reflection of all that I think Pearl Jam's music is truly about and what ultimately sparked the conversations that you and I have every week that inform and interpret and reimagine for us what Pearl Jam's music means to us and what we think it might mean for others as well. So Mike, crowning achievement, number five, number one, order does not matter. This is a great track. I was wrong. We did not have the same song. Mm. Now, this is a lovely song, and it's one of my, it's probably in the top 10 favorite songs. Maybe, maybe 15. I love this song. We've chosen it as our namesake. It's rocking. It's up-tempo. You hit the nail on the head. If we were talking, uh, and we will do this, favorite mic riffs, that opening riff. Dude, 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 dude. Just two, just two chords. Just two chords, as you mentioned. Oh, my God. You hear that as a song, you're going nuts. But it's not his best moment for me. 
he shares the songwriting credits with two other gentlemen on that song. He does. He does. And that's that that that's a borderline disqualifier. I do take that, but it, it, I couldn't. I could not help the the, the poetry of it. That means you love <laughs> this song so much that you said, you know what? Be you know, other songwriters be damned. I am uh, bringing it to the top. I sure. The heap. Why not? Um, I am going to go with what I thought was. Well, for me, it was kind of obvious. But actually, it's not even obvious because I was actually hemming and hawing uh, for a while. I'm going lead better. Oh, okay. You know, at the outset of this challenge, I thought to myself, lead better is too obvious. That's just too obvious. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's an honorable mention. Then I listened to the studio version again, which I haven't listened to in a while because, you know, if you're listening to bootlegs on occasion, as I do, as I'm sure many of us do, you hear it almost every time. I'm like, oh, great, cool. This is a great version. I agree that this is a song better live. I think you mentioned it last week uh, than the studio version. But the studio version has an intimacy about it. And immediately I remembered how great the song was. All the hipster cool guy vibes that I had before just washed away. I was being cynical because I've heard the song a million times. We all have. Well, guess what, Jason? They close almost every show with us for a reason. I know. I know. I'm coming back to Earth here. And you know how good this song is? It doesn't need lyrics. <laughs> we have no fucking idea <laughs> just what Ed's original lyrics are <laughs> outside of box or a bag. We, have no, we know what it's about, you know, sh- sure. But the fact that we, all we really need is the Mike, is Mike doing his best Jimmy impression for five minutes. Mm-hmm. That That's 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 what we need. And, you know, lights on, drenched in sweat, tired as fuck. And yeah, we're, we're, we'll lean on every single note played by Mike on that 1960s Strat. It's epic. And, and every ending is a little bit different. And there's just something about this being the favorite way to say goodbye to Pearl Jam fans at a show to have Mike do, do do this expression of his ultimate joy of playing the guitar in a wonderful song format and I can't think of a better song that expresses who he is than this song Yeah, this song is Mike McCready if, if you said if someone asked you what song is Mike McCready? I'd say it's Yellow Ledbetter, dude. Listen to that five-minute song, and you will understand exactly what this guy's about. Beautiful songwriting, beautiful, delicate riff. I mean, the opening riff is just a beautiful progression down the neck, and then just wicked solos. I think when we had Sergio and Luis on for our, um, our, our it was a top 20 guitar moments of the bootleg era, essentially, 20, mm-hmm. 2000 to 2020, and we chose our, our top three or four, whatever it was, one of mine was Ledbetter from I don't remember where, but if he like stomped all over his pedal board and he hit like all these perfect little effects to just change the the tone and, and the emotion of the moment from the entire outro. And it was just fantastic. This is Mike McCready. This song is Mike McCready. And uh, he was astonished that it wasn't on 10. I think we both decided that we preferred that it wasn't on on ten because it kind of created its own history that way. Yeah. But uh, this is Mike McCready. That's all I'm gonna say. No, it, uh, it, you'll get no argument from me on there. 
Uh, I think obviously this whole exercise is subjective, but what it does no, do it's is, not, Paul. This is fact. <laughs> it does underscore <laughs> just how how much Mike has contributed to the band's anthology of great, great songs. And so, Mike, we love and appreciate you, and uh, thanks. Okay, so we need some honorable mentions, Paul. Okay, so give, so, give me a, give me a few. I know we're getting a bit long in the tooth here, so I'm just going to rattle these off here. Okay. So for me, Ledbetter was the number one honorable mention. Okay. I, I had I actually had a lot of trouble not putting it, but like you, I kind of thought, well, and this is kind of obvious. Is but, yeah, yeah. But uh, I also have Comeback and and Faithful, Marker in the Sand, Force of Nature, and uh, those ones for sure. I mean, Sirens is is also full blown McCready, but that that's a song that I've always felt was a bit on the uh, you know that we talked about uh, underrated, overrated. Mm. So I'm going to go with state alone trust. As you said, it was really hard to leave off. Uh, faithful. I agree is again, it's a mountain of a song up and then back down again. Yeah. Uh, I, if you listen back to leash, I'm telling mm-hmm. you, that's a fucking cool ass song. Yeah, it is. It seems simplistic when you first think about it, but if you listen to it again, put some headphones on, there's more going on than meets the eye. And it's just a, oh, such a great song, such a great release. Hey, it was our first lyric of the week. So Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, just some final notes for me on, on Mike. He, you, know, you mentioned it before that I've called him the secret weapon. If Ed is the heart of the band and Stone is the brains, then surely Mike is the soul of the band. And I would say Jeff and Matt are kind of like the spine and nervous system. Like without them, PJ doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but but Mike is the soul. And anyone who doesn't get that hasn't seen the band live because yeah. you'll understand. And I guess to my point of my number one song that is the epitome. That is the microcosm. That is the uh, avatar of what Mike McCready is. Uh, is a lot better. But that's what I think of the guy. I love the guy to pieces. And uh, my handle, if you didn't know, I don't think I've ever said this on the, on the show before. My handle on the Red Mosquito forums and on the skyscrape is Mikey is God. So there you go, everybody. <laughs> I've just given myself away. If you've ever been on that forum before, I am Mikey is God. <laughs> Anything else, uh, Paul? Well, just, I mean, who needs... D.B. Cooper and uh, Flynn. What a we now know who, who Mikey is God Being is. like Flynn. Let's go to our <laughs> Lyric of the Week, Paul. Okay, Lyric of the Week. We're going to Riot Act this week, and we're going with Save You. And I'm not living this life without you. I'm selfish and clear. Okay, Paul, Save You, Riot Act. It's been a while since we had a Riot Act song. And this was, I want to say, I don't believe it was the lead single, but it was for a lot of people, it was the first song that they heard from this album. Yeah, I think uh, it was right I after believe, Love Boat. I think Love I believe, I think it was I Am Mine was the first single. Really? Ah, right, we got to go back. We should know this. I'm going to, hold on, hold on. The internet is, is pretty fast in my house. Let me go ahead and give you a real uh, first single. First single was I Am Mine, October 8th. Second you single right. actually was Bush Leaker. Third single will save you. Fourth single is Love Boat Captain. Good Anywho, Lord. Talk facts. about me Has- being backwards. Hashtag facts. Here we go. Uh, let me, I'm going to go ahead and tee us off here if you don't mind. Do it. How many people do you think would ignore uh, their own safety for? Do you ignore your own safety for? Uh, well, I mean, my wife, my children, 
you know, I mean, the, my, my family, I mean, the, these are people that without question, if they were in peril, thoughts of my own safety would probably hardly even enter my, right. my, my, my brain space. So you got long-term relationship. That's one maybe, right. Uh, you've got parents, you got kids, um, some relatives perhaps. What, you know, what about someone that's not connected to you by blood? Because, you know, we talk uh, about friends and family, your friends, you choose family. You yeah, don't well, for sure. I mean, look, there, there are a lot of friends and I count you among them that I consider family. And so if, if I found myself in a situation where, you know, there's a car coming and you don't see it. And I do, I'm definitely going to shove you out of the way and I'll take my chances hopping over the, uh, I, I always have this, I can just see myself just getting high enough where I kind of bounce off the, uh, we all think uh, that. The- and then we <laughs> crushed into the windshield and look like a piece of dead weight flopped into the sidewalk. Right. Exactly. Well, Paul, here's the thing. I've always thought that our friends are our most important relationships or at the very least, the most intriguing and complex like I mentioned, we choose our friends. We're not bonded to them by blood or the feeling of uh, out of necessity. You know, like that old saying goes, Ugh, I can't stand my insert relative here, but I love them, right? If you have a friend who ends up hurting you, you can drop them like a sack of bricks. You're not tied to these people at all. So to have someone, a friend who you feel so fondly for that you'll risk your life for them or that you'd feel that you could, that, that that you feel so compelled to save them and your bond with them. Wow, that's pretty that's pretty special, I, I would say. Sometimes we have friends who really need us too. And mm-hmm. that strong bond is necessary. I recall a friendship that was very young. I was very young. She was very young. But at the time, um, it was it was immediately it was strong, like super glue. And it initially was romantic, but eventually became um, just a a great friendship. Didn't work out that way. And it became a great friendship. And and this person really needed strength to get through a tough time uh, many years ago when we were really young. It wasn't necessarily a depressed state per se, but it was definitely a negative headspace. And this person needed some strength around her uh, from people that she had a strong bond with. Now, luckily she made it through, she's doing fine. And she's still a great friend of mine and she's still a gold star human being. But some people aren't so lucky. Some people have really strong bonds. People you risk your life for, people you fought for that really need that friendship, that bond, that love, that guidance, that reassurance, et cetera, et cetera. But the demons are too strong. Now, this song feels like the warning song to me. It feels like the last plea to the person in danger. It's the loudest possible cry to that friend that I cannot let you slip away. You may not hear all the things you think you want to hear, but you'll hear what you need to hear. I feel like as parents, we do that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's a declaration that this friend, this special person has so much to offer and you cannot let them waste it. It's a plea to accept the help that you are offering. Every part of you is laid bare. I am here to save you. Whatever I can do to help, you've got it. You mentioned knocking me out of the way to be hit by the car yourself. There you go. I used to kind of poo-poo this song. It's just like a fun little rocker. But listen to the lyrics again, and you might find a new appreciation for it. Great take, Jason. So uh, I'm going to keep mine 
rooted in a, a well-documented friendship between Eddie and Chris, or really Chris Cornell and, and all the members of the band for that matter. As I'm sure many listening know, uh, we're more or less in the midst of the anniversary of Chris Cornell's passing. And I can't help but listen to this song and think of Chris. I think, uh, you know, you listen to these lyrics and there's just such a poignancy and they're so pointed at what it means to, to want to save someone and the frustration that comes with feeling like no matter what you do, it's just not going to be good enough. Uh, I'm not living this life without you. I'm selfish and clear and you're not leaving here without me. I don't want to be without my best friend. Wake up to see you could have it all. It's like, I have a, a very good friend of mine who battled addiction for many years and uh, there was a point in time where he reached out to me in need and I spent, I don't know, five, six hours with him in his apartment as he stared at the vice that was plaguing him and kept asking me to be the one to take it into the restroom and dispose of it. And I kept looking at him and saying, I can't do that. This has to be your choice. There's something empowering that you need that's going to help you get through this. And if I do that for you, then A, you're never going to believe that you're capable of doing it without me here. For you to be able to do that is going to show you that you are all you need. You know, we talked about I am mine. And ultimately, he did do that. And I'm happy to say that he's, you know, he's a proud parent of two right now. And, uh, you know, he's living a good life. And I love him to death. And he's a good man. And uh, I, I'll never forget that moment in our, in our friendship. And I'm just happy that he was able to, to do what sadly Chris wasn't. And this particular aspect of the song, I, I think is, is, it's a universal feeling of despair, but it's also in a lot of ways, there's a certain ability for the song to kind of connect people in a way that in a positive affirmation alive does. I, I w- it would be interesting, obviously, that the tempo of the song is different. It doesn't have that anthemic, everyone rally together at the end mm. of the show feel that uh, Alive does. But I do believe that everybody can listen to this song and, and think of at least one person that uh, they've had to be there for successfully and one person that they tried to be there for and just couldn't be there for that person successfully. And and there's a certain amount of regret, but also the, this... this um, compulsion to to try and forgive yourself for that knowing that you you can't be someone else's person that ultimately all you can do is be available and at the end of the day someone else has to make that conscious choice and and as much as we lament chris's passing and continue to celebrate who he was as a person and as a musician um that there's something's very human you know that the human experience of his connection to the band and his, his connection to his wife and, and his daughter uh, and, and, and the loss that was shared by all of these people. Uh, it, it's very relatable and it, it's, it's something that I think this week has been heavy on my mind as I just reflect on, on Pearl Jam's place in my life and, and Chris's place within theirs and, and how all those things are interconnected. So. so our point is, is that this is not a fluffy little rock song. No. Because I think a lot of us did think that and never yeah. really paid attention to what Ed was singing about. It's kind of a heavy song. Yeah. Really but I is. think it's something that many of us can, can actually um, uh, grasp onto. 
So um, to Matt Reno, who mentioned uh, this very kind of idea that, you know, in, in, the, in the review that I mentioned at the top of the show, go back, listen to the song, go to, go to your favorite lyrics website. Hopefully it's right. And, yeah. and read the lyrics. I use AZ by the way. Um, and, and read through the lyrics and, and, and you'll put some headphones on and put them up loud mm-hmm. and you'll hear some stuff you haven't heard before. And you'll feel some things you haven't felt before. And I'm telling you, save you. You're not going to think of it's a little fluffy little rock song anymore. Let's uh, let's check out the best live version in our live cut of the week. Save you. We are council going bluffs. To- oh, council, you just gonna, you just you just I just did it. I buried the lead. You couldn't <laughs> even like wait for me. Council I, bluffs. We're council. going to the heartland. Yeah, that we going are. Going to um, outside of Omaha. That's Canada. right, my man. Um, June thirteenth, two thousand three. Mm. Here we go.
would be remiss, Jason, if uh, I did not throw a special shout out to Live at Easy Street. The 2006 version of this uh, this song is mind-blowingly cool. So I, I really love that version of it as well, as well as the one in Ontario in 2005. Ontario? Yeah. Both of those are great, great not, versions. Not, not Ontario? Ontario? Ontario. Ontario. I don't know, man. <laughs> is this another one of those uh, Melbourne, <laughs> Melbourne things? <laughs> Our Australian listeners are like, God, this Oregon, is it? Oregon. <laughs> Ontario. So yeah. proper. Sorry. Go on. Anyway. Um, all right. So this this council bluffs version I just thought was was so tight and connected, but more than that, there's an anger to it, and I thought it it perfectly echoed the frustration that uh, Eddie felt. That's a great word for this song, frustration. Yeah, it really is. There's a frustration there, and so usually when I hear the song, it it feels to me up tempo in a way that's just let's get everyone rocking. But there's something about this version here that the, the sentiment of the lyrics is very present in the delivery and in the performance. And I thought that having those two things mirrored was essential in a live version for me to say, this is, this is the one. And for me, this is the one. Well, it opens the show with a bang. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting way to go um, to open a show with a bang like that. Um, it's a bit faster than the album, naturally speaking, of course. Uh, but it feels like everyone prefers the speed, like in the band. I mean, mm-hmm. A lovely stone solo. I love that. Uh, Mike's fills throughout are excellent. Yeah. Like they're just kind of, I mean, I mean, we had a Mike episode here, but he's, he found ways to really make this song different than I thought it could be. Uh, lovely little bursts of boom throughout, which is really, really cool. Uh, playing this up top means that Ed can kill his voice too. Yeah. You know, yeah. if it's buried in the set list, he's not going to hit those notes as great. And that probably has a lot to do with why I felt that yeah. frustration. I think Matt has some really cool fills in here. It's tight. It's extinct. It's extinct. Oh, my God. It's tight. It's succinct. Mm-hmm. And it's chock full of energy. It's a great way to start the show. So I think it's a lovely choice. Um, cool. Council Bluffs, Iowa. Not a lot of love for Iowa, but here we go. We'll give it to you, Iowans. I- Iowans? Iowans? Iowans from Ontario. Yeah. Oh, God, we're, we're killing ourselves here. Yeah, All right, gang, that's the show. Um, thanks for listening. We love you. Uh, we appreciate you. Please submit um, reviews. That we, We'd love to uh, hear from you. We love uh, talking to you guys on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. The uh, the T-shirt thing is still open. If you've got um, an idea of, of what would be on the T-shirt, please send us a message. Uh, on your preferred platform and we will get back to you and uh and yeah we uh will talk to you on the next one until we do you've been listening to the state of love and trust love and